The epistle reading today comes from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 7 and 11 through 14. Let us listen for the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I am grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now, I am sure, lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. And for this reason, I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know the one in whom I have put my trust And I am sure that he is able to guard until that day what I have entrusted in him. Hold to the standard of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good treasure entrusted to you with the help of the Holy Spirit living in us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As It Is in Heaven is a film that was released in Sweden in 2004. It depicts a village church choir that is not very good. The village is filled with the typical crew of characters, each who need to find their own voice. The couple with their secrets, the formal preacher without joy, the timid soprano, the officious tenor, the young woman caring for her energetic and autistic brother, and the other villagers who don't really look forward to hearing this choir sing on Sunday. We don't know anything about that here. Into this mix arrives a renowned conductor, Daniel Darius. He's had a breakdown during a concert, some physical ailment eating away at him. He is returning to his childhood home a broken and empty man. He begins teaching them to sing together, to meld their voices into something joyful and full of life. Over the course of the movie, they reveal secrets and stand up for each other. They learn about each other and learn to love each other and themselves. They decide to sing together at a choir competition, leaving their village for the city abroad. The competition arrives. The small village choir is hustled up the stairs. Daniel is not with them. Unknown to the singers, Daniel is ill, downstairs, faint and trembling. He makes it into a bathroom where he slips and hits his head. He lies there bleeding. He tries to stand but cannot. His face is gray. Blood webs his face. His shirt is is soaked. He pulls himself against the bathroom wall. Upstairs, the auditorium is starting to get restless. 
The choir doesn't know where he is. It is clear that something is wrong. And the room buzzes with awkward murmurings and whispered criticism as the choir stands there on the stage, unsure what to do next. One voice emerges. The brother, overwhelmed by the stress of the moment, huddles against his sister, moaning. He cannot control himself. He is overwhelmed. His moan ricochets around the auditorium, its plaintive tone slicing through the whispers. It is a lone note sent forth by a scared spirit into the middle of a crowded room. But it does not stay alone. Another voice matches it as a choir member starts to sing. A third voice joins and then branches off, winding into harmony. The choir starts to build, each at their own pitch, their own resonance. The soprano trills, the tenor wails. Notes fill the stage. The auditorium hushes. This is a strange sound. They don't know what to make of it. Then one man in the back of the audience stands up, He sends his bass voice reverberating the length of the auditorium. It reaches the stage. It joins the voices there. The trickle of sounds begin to surge. More mouths open, and the surge becomes a flood, a fullness of something in that auditorium, something rich and immense. It fills the room and echoes down the heating vent, where Daniel hears it. He is still bleeding on the floor, Slumped against a wall, it is clear now that he is dying. He hears these notes, these scores of voices joined into a cloud of chords. He hears and he smiles. He closes his eyes and drifts off. The movie ends. There is glory in this scene. But there is death as well. Death and blood, fear and anxiety. And perhaps I could have cut out those parts when I told it to you, but that would have meant losing something of the story. The beauty of this scene is made exquisite in its cascade of emotions as you watch your ears and eyes filled to the brim. It was a box office hit in its country. Indeed, we often do not resist the cathartic weeping that arrives in movie theaters or in songs. So why do we so often resist it in our faith lives? Why do we so often push voices of grief and pain, of desolation and doubt, to the side? For example, how often have any of us read Lamentations? It is a heavy book. It is not a light read. It is not subtle. Lamentations forces you to steep yourself in the plaintive tones of an exiled people. As we heard today, hope comes, but only in fragments, scattered about after chapters of weeping. The scripture that Emerson read describes scenes of loneliness, weeping, treachery, abandonment, and desolation before declaring that there is hope found in the steadfast love and unending mercies of the Lord. 
Even Paul, who is very good at talking eloquently and efficiently about what faithful action looks like, even he begins by naming grief. I recall your tears, Paul says. I long to see you. Both the passages we read have hope, but both authors will not go there first. They won't rejoice until they've ripped off the bandage that hides hurts and exposed their wounds to a healing light. Our scriptures drip with tears and burst with hope. The voices from between these pages will not be silenced, even though hundreds and thousands of years have tried to translate them into submission. Hope and grief, death and life, we hear a lot of different voices in a few verses today. We are being asked by the lectionary writers and the Holy Spirit to buckle in for a turbulent ride, and I even chose not for us to read another four Lamentations verses and a psalm about Babylonian exile. It is important to read the passages we read today. For not only are our scriptures rich in emotional depth and breadth, but Paul himself refers to faith that expands across generations and distance. He writes from prison, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice now. We are reading about a faith that will not be confined to one person with one emotion at a time. Indeed, our faith would not be complete without a great chorus of voices. But we also must admit something. The human voice isn't always symphonic. Although we delight in the movie scenes where all voices meld together into aural human harmony, more often than not, it does not work that way. Our voices clash. We talk over each other. We interrupt. We don't understand what the other person is saying. We talk too fast. We talk too slow. We shout and screech and grumble and groan and talk under our breath. Even here in worship, we must admit that our lives of faith aren't always made more lovely when we add more voices. After all, we don't always want his insight in Bible study or her dismissal of a point that we found very profound. We sometimes find the crying child or giggling teenager a bit annoying and distracting And then the snoring adult down the pew makes us fight against a few giggles ourselves. Yes, we might find the presence of other people in our faith lives something to be survived rather than celebrated. But then we turn to the scriptures and we find that Paul and the author of Lamentations remind us of something. They miss those who are not with them. Lamentations writes that the very city mourns that no one comes to the festivals and all her gates are desolate. Paul longs to see the faith of Timothy. And we must admit that when we are in church and we look around and do not see the wonder of that child 
the passion of that teenager, or the wisdom of that adult in our lives and in our pews, we start to realize that something is missing. The heart of our Christian faith is that this good news must be declared not by one or two, but by all. The heart of our Reformed tradition is that the good news must be declared not just by saint and scholar, but by all. Whose voices have shaped your life of faith? Whose voices are you allowing to shape your faith life right now? Whose voices are you allowing to shape and change you? And whose voices are you trying to keep out? World Communion is a Sunday when we recall the voices that celebrate Christ all around the world. We do not celebrate World Communion because we should all say the same thing at the same time. We do not celebrate World Communion because we think we can understand what each other is saying at every moment. We do not celebrate World Communion so that we can move on and forget about it next week. Instead, we celebrate World Communion because the beauty of our faith emerges when, despite ourselves, grace erupts from our cultural messiness. The beauty of our community sings out when we stop to ask what other worshipers are caring about around the world right now. There is a lot going on in the world, a lot of voices, a lot of really, really loud and annoying voices. All we have to do is turn on the TV, the radio, boot up our computer and smartphone, and we discover a deluge that asking, no, demanding that we listen to them. Each verbal statement and soundbite is more important than the last. We just want to stop our ears, cover our eyes, sit in the same pew with the same friends, turn on our own playlist, block the people who bug us, and continue along in the cozy bubble we've crafted. Yet when we read these words today, we realize that the lesson is not to shut down our own voice, and it is not to speak louder The lesson we hear from this epistle and from Lamentations is that it matters what we say and who we listen to. It matters who we are asking to talk and if we listen. It matters when and where we choose to use our own voice. Our tears matter, as do our shouts of hope. Paul declares, I am a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. The word herald appears in the Bible when there is something important to say. Kings send heralds, and Jerusalem, the city itself, is promised to be a herald of good tidings. Paul claims this title for himself and for those who share the good news of Jesus Christ and Christ's love. This news is something that must be shared. A herald must not remain silent. The world shouts a lot of things at us each day through advertisements and pundits, through social media and social expectations. When we hear these things, we are not supposed to shut up. 
We are supposed to choose how to respond. A few hundred thousand years ago, if we are measuring in the life of news cycles, we were talking about Syria, about the possibility of a military strike. I admit I was one of the many who would move away from the radio or refuse to stay on that page when reading the news. It was just too much to contemplate. There were so many voices demanding attention. The BBC kept quoting those crying out on the ground. The politicians kept shouting about American duty versus isolationism. And the journalists kept analyzing military and political strategies. Many Americans threw up their hands and said, not listening. At that time, a friend posted on her Facebook page. She posted, we need to shift from what we can't do to what we can do. Where are these millions of refugees going? What can the U.S. do to help those who are desperately, tr desperately trying to leave a no-win situation? Understanding that we're unable to solve this with guns is the best thing that has happened to the U.S. Now we need to realize that this doesn't mean we are out of options. I don't know the exact extent to which aid is getting to Syrian people, but I do know that we were not hearing in the deluge of noise out there any conversation of meaningful impact upon the refugees. We were not hearing about what they, the Syrian refugees in Jordan needed. We were not having widespread conversations about relief work and, and organizations and what they needed, those people who are already there on the ground struggling to love those whom Christ calls his children. And we were not having those conversations, and if you are like me, you were not starting them. Not many of us have big microphones and sound stages from which to herald our beliefs. But we can start somewhere. When we realize we don't usually hear someone's voice, we can ask if that person has something to say. We can listen a little close, more closely to someone who is a bit of a struggle to understand. My friend started by posting something she believed on Facebook. I clicked on a lot of links that day. I read a lot of news. What I remember are her words. She said something that mattered, born from her belief that we are meant to spread something other than fear, intimidation, and military might. She said because... Because she believed we are to share good news of Christ's love, no matter what form it takes. This world asks a lot of us. On this World Communion Sunday, we remember what God is asking. And God is asking us to grow, stretch, to call out in love, and to listen to those who respond. God is asking us to listen and allow ourselves to be changed by the voices of others. God is asking us to be changed by the voices of other beloved children of our Creator. We read Lamentations. We hear Paul mention his tears. 
We take communion, we sit at second Sunday lunch, we attend walk-in ministry, men's ministry, literary circle, and youth group, because the good news is that we are each beloved and we are each heralds of this love to the world. We must share it with others, and we must listen to what others say and think of our response. Whose voice is God using to call to you today, this week, this time of your life? Whose voice are you allowing to shape your faith life at this moment? That voice might tell of joy or grief, hope or pain, endings or beginnings. God will use it. At the end of As It Is in Heaven, The conductor cannot hold back the voices that come cascading through the heating vent. He cannot stem the stream of notes that fill the space with their glory. He allows them in. The people sing. He listens. He hears. He smiles. May we each receive the gift that God has given to us full and rich as the chords of faith-filled human voices that span time and space. May we allow other voices to shape us. May we each listen and herald the good news. Let us pray. Lord, in this world there are many words. But you have the words of eternal life. Let us enter into your goodness so that we might share your gospel of love with the world and allow the world to shape us in ways of faith. In your holy name we pray. Amen.